0: Welcome to the Impact Church podcast. We are a community that doesn't pretend to have all the answers, but aims to have all the hope that you could ever need. We pray that this message is helpful and encourages you no matter what season of life you're in. Enjoy this week's message. Uh, And we've had a question each week that is designed to help you make a better decision and therefore have fewer regrets. Not a complicated idea, but the, the regrets that we might experience, the, the situations we find ourselves in, perhaps you haven't made the link before, like perhaps hopefully you're having this conversation, that our, our, our uh, decisions can only really be as good as the questions that we ask ourselves. And so we've spent five weeks making fun of Charles' decisions, but we've also spent five weeks thinking carefully about the kinds of questions that we might ask ourselves as we head in to 2022 and I have to say that this final one perhaps is gonna be the most challenging, the most uncomfortable, but possibly the most world-changing question that we've explored together. So I'm really excited to unpack that together. And just before I do that, I just do wanna echo what Sam said um, early on as well. We're gonna have some uh, water fun and a barbecue and things like that today. Unfortunately, as things go sometimes in the world we live in at the moment, uh, we've had a few team members who couldn't make it today um, due to illness as well as the weather not working in our favor. So for the guys who came ready for that, it's still gonna happen. I'm still gonna slide further on the water slide than you. And I look forward to seeing when we can do that in February. But nonetheless, I'm excited to be here this morning to unpack part five of this series. Like I said, if you have been with me, you'll recognize these. If you haven't for the last four weeks, that's okay. I'm going to catch you up today. We've had the integrity question, the legacy question, the conscience question, the maturity question. And today, like I said, I want to bring up one that is perhaps the most important and in some ways, perhaps the most uncomfortable, the relationship question. Mm. The Yes, I'm going there. <laughs> I don't know if there's been stages where we've thought about the answers in our own life to some of the questions that we've put forward the last four weeks, if you have been involved in the conversation. We've had moments where you haven't felt completely comfortable. But perhaps even outside of Sundays, you can relate to the kinds of moments I'm thinking about in daily conversation. I, I have this friend, and I've mentioned him before, his name's Tom. And Tom is, uh, amongst other things, um, a a runner who is annoyingly a little bit quicker than me. Um, But he's also one of my greatest friends to chat to. And believe it or not, whilst running and trying to keep up with Tom, we have some great conversations. And the reason that I would say that Tom is one of the best conversationalists as well as runners that I know, is because Tom does something that is not a cultural norm if you're an Aussie. I'm sure you've been in a situation before where you caught yourself doing this. Hey, mate, how are you going? Yeah, good. How are you going? And then you don't even wait for the response. Oh. We greet one another with a question that we don't actually expect to get a response to, but here's what Tom does. How are you going? Yeah, good. How are you going? Yeah, good. No, how are you really going? <laughs> and Tom pauses the conversation so often in that moment to ask, how are you really going? And I don't know if you've got a friend who does that to you or a colleague or a family member who does that to you on the phone, my grandma's also a weapon at doing that. No, 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 don't rush over my question. I'm really interested. How are you really going? And it's an uncomfortable moment sometimes, particularly if there's something going on in your life that you're not completely sure about, or certain about, or feeling safe about, or feeling confident in. Whatever the reason might be, sometimes answering that question can be difficult for us and the reason I want to suggest that is and this very much applies to the question I want to put to us today the relationship question is because it's a clarifying question <clears throat> it's a clarifying moment and clarifying questions are terrifying you may have heard the idea before that what you don't know can't hurt you i want to suggest that, that is not at all true but in fact What we don't know, or don't want to talk about, or don't want to acknowledge, can actually hurt us. If we're not willing to face these clarifying questions, if we're not willing to have relationships where these questions can be answered honestly, and can I just pause for a moment, and as the pastor of this church say, I pray that we can create an environment for one another where we can have these conversations. As Eleanor beautifully said, we've all got a story to share that we might become the kind of community who can share those stories with one another and encourage one another. Gosh, wouldn't that just be a beautiful thing? Thanks for your help kicking off, Gracie. <laughs> <laughs> that we could find people in our lives to yes, ask you. these clarifying questions with. And because of this question that I want to post to us this morning that I would classify as a clarifying question, as a question that we answer that we might face something that we're not completely comfortable to face. I would suggest that more so than the rest of the questions we've put together, you will perhaps not want to answer this one, which remember was one of the key principles that we set out and that we've revisited each week as we've thought about these kinds of questions. You see, these questions are only as helpful (laughs) as you are willing to be honest when answering them. And the reason that I think, in addition to being a clarifying question, that this one hurts as much as, or if not more than the rest, is because the return on investment is different for this question. You see, for the questions that we've looked at so far, the answer can be quite obvious. For example, we ask the question, what is the story that you want to tell. That was what we called the legacy question. And of course, we talked about the idea that when we face a situation and we have to make a decision, we want to look back with hindsight, right, at that moment and be proud of the decision we made and have a story to tell of that moment that is a good one. It's obvious where the benefit is in a question like that, in the legacy question. But for the relationship question, there is a different return on investment. What I mean by that is, this question, the answer is not always going to benefit you. It's not always going to benefit you. And I'm not just talking about relationships like romantic ones with your spouse or even just relationships that you have with your direct family members. I'm talking about all of our relationships. And if we could be willing to consider this question... We're going to have a return on investment that is going to make us the kind of people that others really want to have a relationship with. But I've warned you, and I'll I'll say it one more time before we move into what the question is. It's not always going to benefit you as clearly as some of these other questions that we've asked. Jesus made it very clear when he lived on earth, when he went about his earthly ministry before he ascended to heaven, that he also was hinting at something different. He also was hinting at something that was going to be confusing. You see, when Jesus enters the scene, we don't enter a scene of peace and and they're expecting him to arrive as a baby in this romantic picture. No, we arrive in a moment of political tension. Of the Roman Empire oppressing the people of Israel. Of religious tension between different sects. And there were religious groups that were being chased out into the desert. And were coming in and and guerrilla basically converting. I don't know if you ever did that at university or something like that. But it's this crazy tension that Jesus came into. And they were hoping that as he arrived, he he would bring political reform. He would bring social reform, that he might lead them in, perhaps even for some of them, they thought, some kind of battle against the Roman Empire. And the whole time, yes, Jesus was hinting at something different. Something big was going to happen. But it wasn't the thing that they were expecting. If you've read much of Jesus' words, many of Jesus' words for yourself, you will have picked up on the fact that he was foreshadowing something with the parables he would tell, with the questions he would ask, the responses he would give. He was always foreshadowing that something different was coming. And it's clear that he had his attention because as we follow the life of Jesus and we arrive at just the week of, and we're even going to talk about the night before, the moment he would be arrested and tortured and hung on a cross, when he arrived in Jerusalem that week. He arrives to wild scenes. Now remember, Jesus wasn't king yet, as it were. Jesus wasn't some kind of political powerhouse that you would expect this kind of response that we see when he arrives in Jerusalem from. But what we get when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem is people lining the streets and cheering as he arrives. He had created a sense of expectation, and there is no question that he had their attention, but they still did not understand his intentions. You see, his whole life in ministry he created expectation to the point that when he arrived in Jerusalem, they greeted him like they might greet a king or a successful army general leader who was going to lead them out of some sort of oppression. They greeted him in this way, perhaps because they had expectations in this way, but they still missed his intention. Not only did the crowds that would follow Jesus misunderstand, but his closest twelve Perhaps you've read the story about them jostling for positions, positional power, right up until this moment, right up until this pinnacle, climactic moment of Jesus' life. His closest followers are still asking things like, can I sit on the chair on your right when you're the king? (laughs) Right until the end, they're jockeying for position, as if somehow it was still about political position for Jesus. And it's clear that they have missed the intention. And so, we arrive at Jesus' final night. We arrive at the moment where he sits down for the last time with his closest twelve to dinner. The night before, he knew, and we now know with the records that we have, that he would be arrested, unfairly tried, tortured, and put on a cross. And how does he begin the night with his disciples? He says he's going to be leaving. Can you imagine the way a pin could have dropped in that room? They've come into the city. People are cheering and treating him like an army general or a king. And they sit down to dinner. What's the plan? Can you imagine? What's the plan going to be? That's the (laughs) kind of thing I reckon that they were thinking. All right, this is the moment we find out how we're going to take down the Roman Empire. This is the time that we're going to... Fulfill the promises that we see right throughout the Old Testament. That Israel might be the people that God had always said we could be. That people would look to us and look to God as a result. What's the plan going to be? Are we going to use swords or spears, Jesus? And Jesus says, I'm leaving. Imagine the tension in that moment. But not only was this not the plan they were expecting. More so than justifying the expectations they might have had of Jesus in that moment. It put the apostles in great danger. It put them in a vulnerable position in a crowded city where Jesus had attracted a fair amount of attention, not always the kind type. And now he was going to leave them. Why on earth would he put his apostles in this kind of danger? Why on earth would he leave right at this, the climax of his perhaps career, it would seem. Right on the precipice of the revolution they were all hoping that Jesus was going to bring. Can we put out, we know where the story goes, but can we put ourselves in the tension of that moment and then Jesus would say something that you've heard before that you've probably missed because you're so familiar with it that would change the world more than anything else. He spelled it out in a way that we have become so familiar with that you and I are not guilty of it, that we've probably missed it. These words of Jesus, when I read them out, are the kinds of words that when we put ourselves in the, the shoes of the apostles, these words should send us packing. They should send us running to find the people who we might have unforgiveness with, that we might have hurt with, to apologise. And reconcile these words from the lips of, now we know, our Lord, of God Himself. If you believe that Jesus is who He said He is, and has done what He has said He has done, if you believe that, if you believe He is your Lord, these words should stand guard over our conscience, over our daily decisions over our relationships, our actions, our attitudes, if we could just hear them the way the apostles would have heard them in that moment. And I'll read them out in a moment, but I, but I challenge you this morning. You might be tempted to say, oh, that again. Perhaps you already know the words that are coming. But pause for a moment and put yourself in the shoes of his closest friends on the precipice of what they thought was going to be some kind of military revolution. He's told them that he's leaving and this is what he says. Because we know we know that these closest friends would go on to change the world, right? We know that these closest friends would go on to gain a reputation as world changers. Because they had followed this rabbi, this teacher, Jesus. And we know where the story goes and we cling to where the story goes. Because we know that if you are, if you are a Jesus follower here this morning, this is the moment we cling to, Right? This is the moment when Jesus went to the cross and took our sins upon himself. And so when we become aware of the fact that we are not perfect, that we never will get it right every time, and we realize the significance of that moment when Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, when we wonder where our standing with God is, we lean into this moment as the payment for our sin. Well, that moment that we cling to was the ultimate illustration of these words. In fact, they are what the kingdom of God looks like in action on earth. And just before we go through them in detail, consider as well Paul the Apostle. If you're not familiar with Paul, he was someone who was not just not a Jesus follower, but he was a Christian killer, a Christian murderer. Known by a different name, he was someone who spent his life, devoted his life to trying to take out this movement of Jesus followers. And Jesus would encounter him with this command and demonstrate it to him in such a way that it would rock him on his heels and break him. In a way that he would never recover from. In a, in a way that he would spend the rest of his life from that moment. Doing the exact opposite of everything that he'd believed. Up until the moment when he encountered this idea from Jesus. And if, we, if, if Paul knew that we, would, if, that we would then, these many years later, miss the impact of these words. Can you imagine what he'd say? Because we want something deeper, Right? We want something more complicated. Surely these words that, they they can't be it, can they? But Paul would say, you didn't see it. You didn't see what it was like when Jesus made the decision, despite knowing how brutal the moment would be when he was arrested and tortured and crucified. You didn't see it when he knew that was going to happen, and yet he chose to do it. Paul would say, you want something deeper? It doesn't get deeper. Jesus would give us a new command and then go on to show us this command in such a way that would flip the world, that would flip humanity, that would change our actions, the way we relate to one another forever. Because like I've already said, nothing has more potential to change everything than just these few words. And these words are going to act as the match for our fifth question that I want us to ask. Consider these words as if you're hearing them for the first time the night before Jesus' arrest, as one of his closest friends. And Jesus says this, a new command I give you. You see, they didn't need any new ones.
1: They really didn't need any
0: new ones. They had plenty. Jesus had already taken the 600 or so that the Jewish people had been dealing with for years and boiled them down to two. Love the Lord, you're your God. love your neighbor as you love yourself. He'd already done that. He'd already boiled it down to two. Why do we need another one, Jesus? You've already done this. Why a third? We think of commands in terms of the two, the 10 commandments as well, and then the 600 others that mm-hmm. God had given his people. But just in this moment, Jesus would trump them all with just a few words and the actions of the next day. But who, who has the authority to do that? Who would add a command to the perfect commands that God had already given his people Israel? Well, only God would have authority to do that, right? Exactly. A new command I give you, love one another. And that wasn't really new. It's not new to us now. It wasn't new to them then. He'd already said, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. This wasn't new. But Jesus wasn't finished. And he wasn't commanding them, as we might be tempted to think, to feel something. He was commanding them to do something. And the command that comes next, the action that Jesus wanted them to take was unthinkable. Because of what Jesus himself would do in giving us the illustration of this golden rule. Of this one command that would trump the rest. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And in that moment, Jesus made himself the standard. And in that moment, Jesus said, look to me as the example for love, for the measure by which you consider your behavior. You've probably heard it said that belief is all that matters. Just believing is all it would take. Well, Jesus would probably say that if you're going to participate in what it is that I'm doing in bringing the kingdom of God to earth, loving as I have loved is what matters.
1: Yeah, Amen.
0: Loving in the way that I have demonstrated to you is what matters. You see, doing for others what one hoped in return, that was so last century. That was so old covenant. Jesus had said, do unto others as he had done unto them. And we immediately think of the cross. This side of having the Bible and the records of Jesus' life, when we read those words, we immediately think of the cross. But pause for a moment. That hadn't happened yet. That hadn't happened yet. That was still to come. That was the next day. That shock for his closest 12 friends and his broader community of disciples that was still coming so think of the guys around the table and the way they would have been thinking about Jesus' words in that moment can you picture Jesus looking into the eyes of Matthew Matthew a tax collector someone considered as a betrayer of his own people someone on the absolute outskirts of relationships in his community. Someone who had chosen to serve the Roman Empire instead of be a part of his community. Can you imagine the moment when Jesus had come to Matthew and brought him in like a family member and shown him love and welcomed him him as a friend, as a disciple and spoken to him to instill confidence and belief And then, off the back of all of that, on the final night, Jesus looks into the eyes of Matthew and he says, Love them as I have loved you. The outcast that you were, that I welcomed you in, love them as I have loved you. How about you? Where were you when you first heard this invitation from Jesus? How far were you From thinking that Jesus' love would apply for you, I can almost promise it wouldn't be as far as what Matthew thought he would have been. And yet Jesus welcomed him in and said, Now show this love to others. How many times have you been forgiven? I personally, I have no excuse not to show grace and forgive every single time. (laughs) Because if I take Jesus' words seriously, that I should love as he has loved me then I need to forgive again and again and again the way he has done for me. And then he could have added, but Matthew, you ain't, you ain't seen nothing yet. You just wait until tomorrow. And then the, verse 35, he says this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that if you love one another, by this. This is what you will be known for as my disciples. This is what will define the new way that my kingdom is going to be breaking out on earth through something that I'm establishing calling the church. That he would set up his followers in communities that would show this kind of love to the world around them. It's a lot different to show up once a week to church and do a good kind of thinking, isn't it? It couldn't be further from it. You see, Jesus says, look at me as the standard. Look at me as the standard for your behavior. Jesus' followers would we'll demonstrate their devotion to God by putting the person next to them in front of them, not just by looking up, but by looking around, because he didn't leverage his position, the authority that he had garnered as he arrived in Jerusalem with crowds begging to hear more from him, he didn't leverage that, he leveraged sacrificial love, and so why should we listen? Because of the example that he set the very next day. It's far less complicated than 600 and something commandments plus 10 plus 2. But it's far harder because there are no loopholes. And so the fifth question that I want to put to us because of these immense words that Jesus gave us that would define the way that we as a Christian community if you call yourself home in this church. The question that I would want you to ask of yourself as you go into 2022. The relationship question is this. What does love require of me? You see, this should stand guard over our consciences. It should be the perimeter around what we say and we do as a spouse, as a co-worker, as a neighbour. If you're a Christian, we can stop saying, the Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with, so it must be fine. There are no loopholes anymore. There is just these words. What does love require of me because Jesus said love as I have loved and is it sounding like too much is it sounding too complicated, too difficult to love as Jesus loved, if your answer to that is yes you're probably just getting your head around it because it is it is that extraordinary if you've read much of the New Testament you'll know that the New Testament authors didn't go on to add anything to this they just went on to, like we do each and every day, try and make sense of it and how we should live it out. The Apostle Paul, who I mentioned earlier, said it should lead us towards love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. He, he basically is saying, when you're in doubt of how you should behave, just max these things out. <laughs> max out these fruits that come from loving like Jesus did. And that wasn't even his most detailed. Definition or explanation of Jesus' new command. That went something like this in the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does you know how it goes. It does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. Jesus did not dishonor others. So we too to honour the relationships that we have and ask, what does love require of me? The return on investment will be different. It will not always benefit you most. But it will make you like Jesus. The best kind of person to have a relationship
1: with.
0: And Paul would go on and he would say after a few more verses that love always protects Always perseveres and always hopes. Why else would you need protection, perseverance, and hope? And if it wasn't going to be hard, if it wasn't going to require us to be brave, this is not for the faint of heart. And before you decide to remove this question from the list of five questions that we've looked at together before you decide to throw it away because it's just too hard. Aren't these the kinds of things we would hope to experience from the relationships we have? That our spouses, our friends, our colleagues, that they would ask, what does love require of me in this moment? If we would hope to receive that, then we too should try and show that. So next time, before we over-respond, I'm speaking to me here too. Next time, before we over-respond, before we remind someone of what they did in the past, before we get out of the car and thunder into the house to straighten everyone up, <laughs> would we ask the question, what does love require of me? As a Jesus follower, this is like asking, what does my Lord require of me? Yeah. Because Jesus showed it to us perfectly. There are things that... I'll probably never understand. I wish I knew more. I wish I could have all the answers to all of the complicated questions that all of us are going to face in life. But it's not going to happen. But more often than not, I am going to know what love requires of me when I'm faced with that decision. So there is our fifth question. What does love require of me? Good questions lead us to make better decisions. And if we can make better decisions, then I'm believing that we can experience fewer regrets throughout the year of 2022, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us. Because the decisions that we make determine the direction and the quality of our lives. And if you feel like you've made poor decisions up until this point, that can just be a chapter. It doesn't have to be the whole story. Mm. Jesus invites you into his grace that covers it all. Let's ask ourselves these questions honestly. And answer them carefully. And do what love requires of us. It changed the world once. And it might just change it again. So I'll pop up on the screen all five of the questions that we've considered over the last few weeks. And I'd love to pause and pray for each of us as we head into 2022, hopefully better equipped to make better decisions and to show the love of Jesus to the world around us. I love usually to finish with some application questions, but hey, I might just send you home with all five this week. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you set the standard. That in spite of our falling short, our repeated inability to get it right, that you sent your one and only son to get it right on our behalf. And then extend that grace and that mercy and that love that would change the world then right up until now, to each and every one of us. So Lord, for each person, I pray that as we head into this year, you would equip us with your kind of love, with the fruits of your spirit, that we could pause in moments where we have to make decisions and be led by you to ask better questions. and live the way that you asked us to. We thank you for your grace when we get it wrong. We accept that grace once again this morning. We invite you to go with us into this year and just to begin with, into the week that each of us has ahead. In your mighty name we say, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for this week's message. We hope it was helpful to you and practical for your life. Ultimately, we pray that this inspired you to consider taking a next step in your relationship with Jesus, whatever that may look like for you. If that's something you would like to do, we would encourage you to get in touch with us via the details in the podcast description. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.